welcome to episode one. Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm Natasha. Today is our very first podcast. We're two Charlotte Mason homeschooling moms discussing both philosophy and application in our daily lives educating our children. So Natasha, what have you been reading lately? So I am currently reading a book by um, Flannery O'Connor. It's called Mystery in Manners. After she passed away, her friends put together a book of her essays and um, lectures and she really has some really funny wit in there and I really loved this phrase that I thought would do well with our podcast today for our very first episode. In it she said, and if the student finds that it is not to his taste, well that is regrettable, most regrettable. His taste should not be consulted, it is being formed. So she is a writer that tends to write about issues like disabilities and racism, what they call the grotesque, and specifically marginalized people. She was also Catholic, which also played an interesting role in some of her writing. Hmm. I've also been reading the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and I absolutely loved this quote from him in that book. He said, It is funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. (laughs) I love those critique letters. I read it last year. I love when the devil gives the example of the woman who just wants a little of this toast, lightly toasted with just a little bit of butter. And I find sometimes that we can get a little picky and miss out on some of the bigger gifts that our kids are offering us in their narrations. You notice that? (laughs) I do. So what have you been up? What have you been reading lately? Well, I'm right in the middle of Middlemarch by George Eliot. I'm really enjoying this story. It's about people living in a small town and their lives and interactions. But my favorite group that they discuss is characters like a young woman and her husband, Mr. Casabon. She's a much younger woman and he's a much older man. She's a devoted, pious young woman and she aspires in her youth to marry an intelligent academic. And she wants to support him in his goals and be part of something really amazing and great. But in this era, the Victorian era, reaching academic goals wouldn't be possible for a woman. But in the course of their marriage, Mr. Casabon, he becomes disillusioned with his own work and he realizes he hasn't really accomplished anything worthwhile. He becomes anxious and disappointed in his life and even has some health issues. Her doting and her looking up to him and idolizing him really, it just starts to irritate him. Then this turns to frustration. And anyways, I won't give any more away, but I'm really enjoying this 800-page page-turner from Victorian Times. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very interesting. Do you have any uh, commonplace for this book? I do. There's so many witty quotes. It's really hard to pick a favorite one. I had so many book darts in this one. But one that I really liked was, We mortals, men and women, devour many a disappointment between breakfast and dinner time. Keep back the tears and look a little pale about the lips. And in answer to inquiries, say, oh, nothing. Pride helps. And pride is not a bad thing when it only urges us to hide our hurts, not to hurt others. Hmm, very good. Well, in today's podcast, our very first podcast, we will be discussing what sets Charlotte Mason education apart from other educational philosophies. Our goal in this entire podcast is going to be to help homeschoolers understand and apply Charlotte Mason's philosophies and methods. So if you are interested in that, I I 
urge you to follow along and uh, to, what, what would it be called? Hit the subscribe button. Hit the button. subscribe button to our podcast. That's right. <laughs> One important aspect is that Charlotte Mason, she really believed that children were born persons. This was actually her first principle. And I think most people in this time, this day and age would agree with that statement, but I think there's really a misunderstanding in what that implies. When we mean born person, we mean they aren't lacking or they're not deficient. They're a whole person. That's right. In today's society, everyone would agree that children do res deserve respect and dignity. We agree with that, but there's much more to it than that. Yes, I totally agree with that. She Charlotte Mason tells us that children are capable of appreciating what adults can appreciate. And they don't need their mothers to interfere and try to educate them. That's right. And so I wanted to kind of go back and look at where do these ideas come from? Why is it that we all don't quite understand what an education should look like for a whole person? What I have found, and I'm just going to go back here. How and far back, my notes. Natasha? <laughs> well, it actually goes all the way back to ancient times, believe it or not. It began with Aristotle and in, uh, let's see here. So according to Aristotle, a human child is an immature specimen by nature. And he has the potential to develop into a mature specimen, but he requires structure and form and function in order to become a normal standard adult. Hmm. Many adults today have this broadly Aristotelian conception of childhood without ever having re read Aristotle. His thoughts and philosophies really influence us today. Mm -hmm. um, another Aristotelian concept is the idea that development takes place in age-related stages. Mm -hmm. They're clearly identifiable structural changes that a child must go through to become a fully functional adult. And I, I've believed this in the past when I have taught my children the classical model. I thought that they did have to learn in these very specific stages mm -hmm. for their minds. Yeah. So this idea has been traced back all the way to ancient times. Um, Plato believed that children were born blank slates and that their minds must be trained and molded uh, through education in order to acquire knowledge. Mm -hmm. John Locke. Another philosopher of the 17th century believed that all children are born equal, yet they were equally blank slates, or mm -hmm. what's called tabula rasa. Their development takes place due to the influence of the environment. The environment was a very important feature that would shape a child's behavior. Mm -hmm. This went on to another uh, famous philosopher and psychologist, Johann Friedrich Herbart, um, from the 20th century, and he was really the founder of an educational theory that strongly influenced the development of what most homeschoolers love to use called unit studies. Unit studies. <laughs> His philosophy presupposed that a child's mind required help and guidance and direction in order to make all of these different connections and understand ideas. Later on, Piaget, who is from the 20th century, he developed what is considered a highly sophisticated version of Aristotle's stage theory, and it has dominated the um, educational philosophies of today. In his stage theory, he believed that there was a deficit to children, that children um, primarily were had deficits, missed capacities that normal adults had. Um, children lacked these. Mm -hmm. 
And then this leads us to Maria Montessori, who was alive around the time of Charlotte Mason. Her theory was strongly based on John Locke and Herbert. And in her theory, she taught that children had an, they did have an innate interest to learn. And, but they would, would be able to do so only in a suitable environment. Um, she strived to create classrooms that were filled with order, cleanliness, beauty, and harmony. These were all things very important for a child's education. Um, contrary to the goals of most educational settings, which believe that children's goal was to reach a maximum achievement in their academic subjects, the Montessori method, method creates an environment that promotes a child's optimal intellectual, physical, emotional, and social development to occur. Part of her methods uh, required that they had free choice, that students were allowed to develop a deep sense of interest in activities independently without being restricted by even just physical features in the classroom. So part of her theory I found interesting to kind of point out how she did still believe that children were not uh, fully persons. They first would learn with materials um, to develop skills, which she considered real world skills, such as using scissors and utensils, washing dishes, gardening, and gaining other such skills, fine motor skills and hand-eye coordination. This is where she began teaching her students. The next level, uh, once they gained those skills, they were able to move on and they were to learn with materials that would introduce students to sensory, sensory development and strengthening their five senses. It was an important part of her learning where they really had to learn to not only look at um, the shapes of letters with their eyes, but feel them with their hands. And then the third part, once they mastered both the, the skills and the sensory development, they could then go on to master traditional academic subjects. So it was not until they could master these basic skills that they could then move on. Hmm. Well, Charlotte Mason had some problems with all of these mentioned theories, but particularly uh, Montessori's yeah. theories, as you can see. So Montessori relied heavily on the creation of an optimal environment to entice children to learn. While Mason felt that children could learn um, dealing with real things in the real world rather than an artificial manipulation of the environment. She said that it wasn't just charming manners and neat environment and freedom that attracted people to this method of Montessori, but rather that students were able to learn to read and write at an early age. But Mason argued that education is more than the mechanics of reading and writing. Mm -hmm. Such skills don't educate any more than mastering shorthand or Morse code. Yes, I totally agree with that. That isn't an education. That's not parlor tricks because you do need to learn how to read and write eventually. But um, have you ever read the book Range? Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World no. by Epstein? So that's a really great book, actually. And it sort of addresses that, the skills-based I think this day and age, we're so obsessed with specialized skills, especially in young children. We want them to read and write and do math early. And that book extrapolates that specific scenario. What if we got super highly specialized? So what they've done is David S. Epstein has studied very highly ranked chess players, 
specialized firefighters, usually captains, and other scientists like lab scientists. And they found that highly intelligent, very skilled people were not actually able to translate their skills widely. So that means when they've trained, like they have PhDs in chemistry, biochemistry, in a unique situation, the skills don't translate. Like a firefighter who has a ton of training, he's in a forest fire, which would be a novel situation. He was likely to die without having interval training, so to speak. So having intense levels of specific skills actually backfires because you're not able to generalize and solve new novel problems. So you don't want to have particular environments that cater specifically to you, and you don't want to drill a narrow bunch of skills to the exclusion of learning variety. You really do need to have that feast to be able to deal with novel and new situations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So Mason also had said teaching children to use all their senses does not educate a child. I mean, of course, we do want to ensure that our children are able to use all of their senses. That is does not equate education. So because a lot of these people were using um, skills, um, you might even say this more utilitarian approach to Mm -hmm. education Mm -hmm. and ensuring that all of their senses were being utilized. Mason feared that people would replace guiding principles to these mechanical practices. But Mason says in the closing of her letter to the editor that knowledge is the only way to build up character. It's the only thing that feeds and sustains the mind. And I love this quote from Mason in um, her book, Philosophy of Education. She says that a child always has the mind he requires for his occasions. That is, that his mind is the instrument of his education and that his education does not produce his mind. I think those are really great points of why you really need to include living books in your education and practicing buttoning buttons on a frame is just not going to do Mm -hmm. that job. So thanks for giving us a great overview of the history of our educational system from Aristotle to Piaget. Seeing how those major players have influenced our thoughts on childhood development, we can easily see how someone might tell me that Shakespeare is developmentally inappropriate for a six-year-old. And I would argue that what, what they might take might be different, but they can still appreciate the bard like we can as adults. Didn't you have a funny story about a six-year-old and Shakespeare? (laughs) I was hoping you would ask, Natasha. You may have heard the story a few times, and I apologize to those who may have heard it a few times in real life. Um, However, we've always done a few Shakespeare plays each year, and at this particular time, we would listen to Julius Caesar on the way to piano every week. And this is mainly for my older kids, closer to middle school age. And I really only asked my grade fours and up for some for narrations following our listening. But when we got out of the car one time at piano lessons, my little six-year-old hopped out of the car and announced that Caesar should listen to his wife and her nightmare. They're going to kill him. I hadn't really been <laughs> anticipating that my little six-year-old was actually following the storyline at that point, because Julius Caesar really isn't the easiest introductory play, I'd say. But... Uh, And I'm sure that he hadn't really caught all the intricacies, but he had understood a lot more than I even expected. So we should never underestimate our little people. They can understand a lot more than we really give them credit for. Yes, that is an an excellent example. I just love how 
I have seen even in our co-op this past year, how my youngest mm -hmm. who's in kindergarten is really making some connections and understanding mm -hmm. Shakespeare. I mean, it just melts my heart to see yeah. that they're just getting it. We never thought, I mean, I, it's really the first time we have done Shakespeare in yeah. our homeschool and I'm amazed at how the kids yeah. are doing. Yeah. I'm so glad mm -hmm. to have your kids in that co-op. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I think about how Charlotte Mason views our kids is really how I see Jesus wanting our children to come to him. They don't, he didn't ask them to go to a different room to fill out worksheets about him. We really want to bring to our kids the best that humanity has created we should expose them to the best writers, the best composers, the most amazing artists. We should read about all of the important leaders. We should not turn those wonderful, amazing things into nuggets of bite-sized information. We should just play them the magic flute and show them Botticelli, and we should read them some Wordsworth. Fold some paper slide. <laughs> and do some Swedish drill. <laughs> so those are really Charlotte Mason-y things. And don't worry if you don't know what that is. We'll do another podcast. Speaking of which, what have you been reading with your kids lately? Oh, so many great books. It's kind of hard to decide which one to tell you about. But one recent favorite was Esther Hotzig's Endless Step. So this is a true story, actually. Her true story. It's about a young Polish girl who sent to a Siberian work camp. They considered her family capitalistic, and the conditions in Siberia were very, very harsh. But through it all, she showed determination, and she was able to help her family survive at that time. Another one, actually, that's kind of related that we're loving, which is much more modern, is I Must Betray You by Ruth Sepetis. So I'm reading this one with my older boy, who's a teenager, and it's from the perspective of a teenage boy, and he's living in communist Romania under Ceausescu. It's definitely a coming-of-age story, but it really serves to highlight some of the challenges that people faced with basics like housing, food, heating. It also discussed like issues of privacy and freedom under a communistic rule. Um, how about you, Natasha? Um, so I am currently reading The Enchanted Castle by E. Nesbitt with my older daughter. It's really her assigned reading, but I'm reading it along with her and she'll I'll get her to come back and narrate to yeah. me what she's read. Mm -hmm. um, we also just recently finished The Hobbit, which is one of my most favorite books mm -hmm. ever, but I think I love it more now that I've re read it at the age of I won't say what. <laughs> <laughs> but my I think my favorite part of it has been singing all the dwarf <laughs> and uh, elf songs to my kids. Of course, they really read more like poetry, but I'll make up my own tune and <laughs> sing it to them and they just have to endure it. <laughs> And to my youngest daughter, our read aloud at night is not something that I would say would be on everybody's um, favorite literary reading lists. Uh, it's called The Naughtiest Unicorn by, I believe her name is Pip. Hmm. Oh, Pip something, I'll look it up. Um, I'll put that in the description below if you're interested. But it is um, a book about a naughty unicorn. It's written by a British author. So there's a lot of British uh, terminology in there, which is kind of fun to read, but it's quite witty and funny. It's not, I wouldn't say it would be, like I said, my most favorite read, but we're having fun <laughs> and we laugh a lot about it every night uh, with the sometimes mentions of bums and toots. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. We hope 
uh, you enjoy it and tune in for the next episode. We're going to have ton, tons more <laughs> topics just like this. Yeah, too many to cover.